Welcome to episode 14 of the Medium the Message. This is Overcoming Uncertainty in Your Career Path. I'm Liz and I'm your host and the editor-in-chief here at The Medium. And really, this is a message I need to hear. Over the past year, I have drastically changed my career path. I've realized where my passions lie and kind of also where my future is headed to. A lot of change has come through this year that has been so 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 terrifying especially for someone like like me that likes to know like five steps ahead um and so I really thought I'd make this episode and talk about my own journey this year as well as talk to some of my friends and role models um who are a little bit further in their career slash slash life path and just um discuss with them how they got to where they are and where they're going. I really, really hope that this episode gives you a sense of comfort if you are uncertain in your career path or if you've recently changed your major or realized that what you've been studying isn't really interesting to you, which is totally fine. There's nothing, absolutely nothing, nothing wrong with that. University is literally for that. Um, So yeah, that's kind of the aim of the episode. So, the first thing I want to talk about is my journey. I don't like to share much about my life. I don't really like to share much about um, kind of where I'm going or where I've been. But I think for the sake of this episode, I wanted to share a little itty-bitty piece of me um, and kind of the big, big discovery that I've had this year as well as how I'm still processing it. So, pretty much... For a very, 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 very long time, I wanted to go into medicine. And I did everything to go into medicine. Obviously, I'm a chemistry major, so, you know, I'm still on the right track if I want to, which I might. I might change my mind another time. That's fine. Um, In high school, I took all the courses, you know, the bios, the chems. Um, I did a co-op in a hospital that was very competitive. Um... Yeah, I was just always on that track. Um, And I think parts of me was um, doing it for the wrong reasons. And I'm not the only one. You know, I I just felt like, okay, Liz, what is the most impressive thing you can do as a career path? And the only thing that could come to mind at the time was med school and like medicine and so forth. And I still have a deep passion for helping people. Um, When I did my co-op, I worked with... Um, a marginalized kind of neighborhood in Toronto Um, and I it was a family clinic and I absolutely loved working there I loved working with the kids as well as I worked a lot with like um, new mothers or expecting mothers um, and helping them kind of situate themselves in society um, without all the resources that are available in other kind of areas of Toronto so that was amazing and I will never, you know, not value that experience because it did make me realize kind of how important it is um, for someone to fulfill that role of helping those individuals in Toronto that are struggling with their health and also in kind of very um, unfortunate situations. But I also realized that that person might not be me. And that took a lot. Like genuinely, that was so terrifying. And I think there are a few things that I, that kind of made me realize that. And I'll go through them and maybe something will resonate with you. The first one is when I realized that whenever I watch Grey's Anatomy, I always skip over like all the surgeries because 
A, I'm kind of squeamish, which is why I want to go into family medicine, which isn't wanted, want, I don't know anymore. Anyways, so I would always skip and I would just love the drama, but that might just be because I'm a woman. Anyways, I'm joking. That was a bad joke. Um, The second point is that I was talking to a friend of mine whose older sister is an orthopedic surgeon now, and she was telling me how her sister literally works these crazy, crazy hours, like 13-hour shifts in the hospital, and comes home and continues talking about medicine. And I've realized that everyone that I know that's like uber set on med school, like even more than I thought I was... Their whole life is all about medicine and they are so passionate about it that they will make way to talk about it in their everyday life. And I've always felt with chemistry and with kind of like that stuff that I couldn't have a conversation about it. Like if I was on a date, I wouldn't be able to start talking about like metal affinity chromatography. Like I just didn't think that that could be something that would come up in social situations But I've now realized that the people in my life who are like pre-med, but like serious pre-med, like I know they're going to be fine. That is all they talk about in like the best way possible. But that is not me. The third thing that made me realize that maybe med wasn't for me was that I um, grew up in a very artistic family and I traveled a lot in museums. And so my second year, I was like, okay, let me just take this art history course. I'll know everything. And I kind of did, unfortunately. Well, fortunately, unfortunately, I feel like I sound arrogant by saying that I knew everything. But I did because I had those experiences, very privileged experiences that I'm very grateful for. And so I set out on this art history journey and I am now an art history major. um, And I'm doing a work study with a prof in art history. um, And I was taking this course earlier last year, um, like in September. Um, It was a 400 level technical art history course. And it was the first university course that I sat through. And I, A, did not look at my phone a single time. B, did not count the time. Like, you know, when you sit in in lecture and you're like, okay, there's four more 10 minute block left, 10 minute blocks left. That means eight, five minute blocks. Like I do that all the fucking, all the freaking time. Pardon my language. Yeah, none of that. I literally did not want that class to end. I was so captivated. I was so motivated. And the second the class was over, I ran to my mom and I was like, oh my God, mom, guess what I just learned about? And I went on and on. And then I told all my other friends about it and I just brought it up. And it was such a social thing now. Like everything that I learned in our history is just something that I share with my friends and I nerd out on and I watch YouTube videos about, like, I remember I was talking to a friend of mine um, and she was like, do you read um, chemical papers on the weekends? And I was like, "Uh, hell no. But now I'm that person that reads like art history um, books and I watch art history videos and I love art history documentaries. Like that is me. I am that nerd. And I think what's what I've realized is that I just hadn't found my passion. I'd found what I was good at. Like I was good at studying chemistry and biology, but I hadn't found what I was passionate about. And once I did, that really changed the game for me. Um, And now I'm, you know, taking this new information that I found this year, and it's been terrifying to go from one end of the spectrum to a complete other end and figure out, you know, and change something that you've been planning for the last like six years, literally knowing, okay, third year summer, I need to take MCAT, 
third year September need to take Casper test. Third year October need to, or like fourth year October, I'm getting all my dates wrong, need to apply to med school. All of these things that I've known for so long are now totally like not really what I'm doing. And now I have all this, this whole new like set of things that I have to figure out. Anyways, point being is change is terrifying. But I know that in the long run, what I'm streaming, streaming, is that the word I'm looking for? What I'm streaming to. No, that's not the word. I forget what the word, oh my God, why why am I blanking out? What I'm going for right now in my life is going to make me so much more fulfilled in the long run because that is where my passions lie. Not just where I think that being a doctor is going to like make me look good to others. I've realized that that doesn't matter because I want to look good to me. I want to feel good in what I do and I want to feel passion and I want to feel excitement and I want to feel um, just fulfilled in the work that I do for the next, you know, whatever, 50 years or whatever it might be. So all that being said is I am sure that I'm not the only person. Well, I I know I'm not. I know I'm not. Um, that has had these kinds of changes um, come about whether in their undergrad or even after they graduate um, and I'm not the only person that has realized that you know your journey can change and your journey is not linear if you do want to go to med school and that's what you've dreamed of for 10 years and you know you apply to med school and you don't get in the first try which is very much probable let's not be delusional it's like a seven percent acceptance rate that is okay. Like a journey, it will not always be smooth, but that doesn't mean that you give up. That doesn't mean that you like exit and leave and give up and never come back. Like just take a pit stop, right? This is such a bad analogy. Anyways, what we're going to do in today's episode is I'm just going to talk to some of my friends, acquaintances, people that I look up to, people that inspire me, People that I know have had it both easy and tough in finding who they are and what they want to be. And I hope this um, brings you some sense of comfort and helps you understand that journeys are not linear. They are all over the place. They start in one place and end in a place you might have never envisioned. Or maybe you just go exactly to where you want to be. And I hope that these little interview excerpts will kind of, you know, inspire you. Um, and open your eyes to change because I was terrified of that change. It took a huge leap of faith to even just change my major to art history because I was doing all of these like pre-med things. Um, and to just realize that there's so much more out there for you. And if you haven't figured it out yet, that is totally okay. And you will very, very soon. So let's get into an interview with our past managing and editor-in-chief, Ali Taha and Paula Cho, who now are spearheading Archetype Literary Magazine and who are dear, dear friends of Elisa and I. So here's Elisa's chat with them. They've conquered so many mountains and have come out victorious and they still have a long way to go, but they have really shown me personally what it means to persevere and what it means to achieve what might seem unachievable at first. So yeah, I hope you enjoy. So hi guys. <laughs> hey. Hey. Hi. So um, well, it's been a long time since you guys have connected with the medium. What have you been up to since then? We're jumping right in. Um, <laughs> Paula, do you want to go first or should I? You can go first. 
Sure. So, uh, <clears throat> what have I been up to since the medium? So the medium, we ended our our terms in at the end of 2021, yeah. June. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was working for a consultancy firm um, while I was also doing managing editor for the medium, and so I kept doing that job after I graduated, um, and I I quit. Um, in October or September of last year and I had just been sort of free free falling slash floating um, for a few months while I got my my well I tried to find a new job and since February of this year I've been working at the Toronto Stock Exchange as a um, as a client success event coordinator and during my time between um, not between quitting my job and getting a new job, I co-founded a literary journal called Archetype with my good friend Melissa and Paula. Um, Melissa also worked in the medium. And Elisa, you joined us, and Melinda joined us, who's part of the PwC program at UTM. Um, and Sonia joined us, who is also part of the PwC program. Paula, what have you been up to? <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, Ali mentioned that we finished our terms at the medium in June 2021. I also graduated um, in June 2021. Um, and around then, I also got in, got accepted into a grad program at Columbia University um, to study journalism. So that's what I've been doing since. Um, my program started in August. Um, And yeah, I've been there full time. I'm now living in New York um, in the program where it's very practical. We're writing articles, we're reporting. I'm also making a documentary right now. Um, So I'm really glad to be walking away with a lot more experience in journalism. Um, Yeah, and I know you have questions for me about how the medium kind of spurred that. Um, I mean, I really developed my interest, I think, in writing, editing, journalism in general at the medium. So I really credit my time there uh, with where I'm at now. Um, that's a bit about what I'm doing. Allie's back. That's so cool. Wait, so Paula, I think like what's really interesting mm-hmm. about your story is how like um, after the medium, you actually continued to study journalism. Like, did you always know that you wanted to work in journalism? I think from a young age, I always wanted to be a writer. I just thought that that was super appealing to work at a magazine but I didn't know necessarily that I could use those writing and editing skills as a journalist. I think that really developed in undergrad. Um, And especially during the pandemic, actually, I think when misinformation was so rampant and, you know, it was really life or death, um, people getting information and realizing the severity of the pandemic, I think, and a lot of reporters were doing such a great job of conveying that information. I think I really wanted to be a part of that. just to do that, that kind of important work. Um, but right now I'm also really interested in doing the documentary filmmaking route um, to kind of combine my more creative side um, and more visual component with my reporting work. Um, so kind of always wanted to know that I wanted to write, but now it's kind of developed into different mediums, print and video. That's pretty cool. So like, would you say that um, the pandemic was that moment where you had clarity about like, this is definitely what I wanna pursue? Or do you feel like you've always just been kind of 
going with the flow and seeing what doors open up? Mm. A little bit of both, I think. I I mean, I'm still really working it out. Um, I, I know that I want to go into reporting, editing, that whole thing. And the pandemic definitely pushed me in that direction. I mean, we're still reporting on pandemic stories. Um, and I think we will be for quite some time. So I think the pandemic definitely like hardened my desire to want to do it. Um, but yeah, I think it's always been there. You asked me why I do anything. And I, I think I have an answer for that. Um, I, I have this sort of like existential dread that it has haunted me since I was a child. Um, and it stems from me not understanding why I'm on this earth and me struggling with spirituality and religion. So during undergrad, um, I started getting into philosophy a lot and I was trying to make sense of life and, and its meaning. And I, I think my answer right now is just being as present and into life as I possibly can and taking on every opportunity and trying to actually enjoy the like journey of life. And so I try to do things that I enjoy. I try to do things that um, are people oriented. Um, that's why I joined the medium and that's why I started the literary journal. Um, that's why I went to Ireland for a week, which was very spur of the moment and I had no plans when I got there. Um, that's why I'm into movies and books and all this jazz. And that's why I'm a counselor for a leadership camp that um, I've spent way too much time thinking about or talking about. So, yeah. So right now you mentioned that you're working at the Toronto Stock Exchange. Has <laughs> this experience enlightened you? In <laughs> oh, my gosh. Has it? Oh, my goodness. Me working at the Toronto Stock Exchange is like me. It's like the clouds have parted and I see a light shining from the heavens. Wow. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> um, no, it's, you know, sometimes we have to do things that, um, that ensure financial stability. <laughs> so that's what the Toronto Stock Exchange is for me. Um, but I'm also learning, like, my team's awesome. I love the people I work with. And um, I'm learning a lot and I'm learning how to be more social and I'm developing my pub my public speaking skills, which is awesome. Um, so there's definitely like a lot of learning happening in that position, but it's definitely not where my, my passion lies. Unlike Paula, who's following her passion all the way to, to uh, I don't know, where do you go when you follow your passion? Somewhere good, I hope. I'm not, I mean, I kind of wanted to follow up on that like financial stability part mm -hmm. of it. Like I, I feel like some of your listeners might be also wanting to go into journalism and I, and I feel like, I mean, I'm still very much in the honeymoon phase, I think, with wanting to be a journalist and wanting to be a writer and I hope that stays with me but I'm also very aware of the financial instability that can come with being a reporter. So I I'm totally looking for jobs and like community. I mean, not actively, I'm putting most of my focus and trying to find reporting jobs, but I think it's important to, you know, keep your options open, like Ali is saying, um, be open to taking communications jobs, to working at the stock exchange, totally. um, all of that, uh, it, even if you want to pursue a career in writing, um, 
because it can be very volatile. I completely agree. I think, um, I think in terms of, so who are we talking to right now? Are we talking to like writers? Are we talking to Uh, communication majors? Honestly, I don't know. Um, But we're talking to about, I think 30, 50 people who ever listened to us. I don't know if that's like our family members or if there's, (laughs) but um, I think family members stop after the first minute. So yeah. Um, well, I think, I think if I'm trying to give really general advice that anyone can use, you should not be afraid, especially when you're like 21 or 22, to do absolutely anything. And I think during undergrad especially, do not miss out on the opportunities to do, um, like, to join clubs, to join societies, to do any extracurricular that will provide you experience. Because at the end of the day, jobs do not care whatsoever about your grades. They will crap on your grades. All they want to know is if you have the skills that they need that you can apply to the job that you're applying for. So literally do anything and everything, especially when you're young. You said you wanted to be an author in the future. Um, How did you know you wanted to do that? That's a good question. Um, I think I joined the medium because I thought it was such a cool opportunity to be able to write something and get it published. Um, and I remember getting my first story published and going ballistic, even though looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, absolutely nobody cares, (laughs) but it's a great accomplishment. Um, so I really like the, the idea of just being able to be part of that. And then I think that grew into me enjoying writing because of the stuff I was reading Um, and just trying to, the more I read and the more I like understood the writing process, the more I've come to realize that the, the really broad strokes type of writing, the stuff that confesses all your love or that talks about God or that's super general and broad, that's not really the stuff that people are going to enjoy reading. It's the really defined moments in life that people will gravitate towards, even if they don't, maybe they don't necessarily relate to it. There's going to be something in there that just speaks to what it means to be human and what makes us, you know, tick or whatever. So my passion for writing has really moved into me just trying to find these moments. And I don't think it's necessarily just writing. It's also like watching TV shows or watching movies or just coming up with scenarios in my head of like these beautiful moments that can be captured through art and that make us feel things because because they're just so specific or so interesting or engaging, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and like it, And that's also interesting because that's, I think the heart behind Archetype 2 like exploring what it what it means oh yeah like to be made of flesh um but i also wanted to connect because i i know paula you said that you started to make documentaries do you feel like you had a similar inspiration behind what made you want to go into that craft yeah definitely i can relate to what ali's talking about in terms of wanting to write about or portray very specific singular moments um i think themes are good um, 
like trying to portray an overall theme of love or a theme of, I don't know, struggle or something like that. But I think the kinds of stories that people want to read are about very specific experiences um, that they can or cannot relate to, um, but just say something larger. Um, And I think with the documentary film medium, um, I just think that video is more, can be more visceral than print. Not to say that print can't be because I think I might end up being a print reporter, but I think there's something with video that can show even more. Um, There's more production that has to, that goes along with it. Um, My partner and I are having to carry our equipment across the city, which is a struggle to like small girls, not easy. Um, (laughs) But it's very worth it because we get to capture. um, So our documentary is about NFT art. um, And it's about how artists who have traditionally been left out of the of the art world um, are are able to enter a new space where they're more accepted and um, they're able to create art with more access basically. Um, So we're following this artist and he's making art from his studio and just being able to capture what he says from from himself is just another level than just writing about it. Um, So that's kind of why I like the video, the video platform. Yeah. I mm-hmm. I have been thinking about that a lot and I'm I don't know if you if you have any thoughts on this Paula but you were saying it feels more visceral like filming something than writing about it and I think I think you're right because when you write something you're trying to imagine what's happening but when you're watching it like it's happening in real time there's no like ambiguity about what it could be and also when you watch something, usually it has like, it's, it has music or it has sound. So you're getting more immersed in the experience. And I really like that. And so I yeah. think I'm gravitating towards writing more like for the screen than just books. Yeah, that's so exciting. I mean, that's exactly why I think that video is more powerful or can be more powerful because because it's always in real time, like you're never filming something that happened in the past, which makes it more difficult. um, Because you need to think about what, you know, a viewer is going to see, rather than like, oh, what kind of documents can I pull from in the past? Or what event can I recount or something like that? Um, There are ways to like bring history into a video by pulling archival footage and all of that. But really, majority of it is happening in real time. And there's just something very impactful, I think, about seeing, yeah, something come from the person itself. Um, not to discount, though, from writing <laughs> books and all of that. Oh, um, good. Because, I yeah, I mean, I don't know. There's. We hate I, books. No, we love books, actually. <laughs> I think it's, there's like, obviously, the autobiographical genre where someone can write about their own life. Mm-hmm. But there's also something super special I think about a writer recounting someone else's life or just writing their own thing because then you get that lens of you know what they want to say um and that can also be very powerful in addition to just you know up to viewer interpretation that's true and it can also be really easy to write about things that you can't really recreate in life like science fiction or fantasy exactly Um, so you don't have to rely on cgi Right. And those are very valuable topics, too. (laughs) 
That's a really interesting point, though, that you brought up, Ali, because, um, yeah, I feel like our words are so limited. And it's also, sometimes I just feel limited by my own vocabulary. <laughs> vocabulary? Mm -hmm. Is that how you say yeah. it? Um, and, and then, yeah, and it's like when you're watching a film, you have like more senses involved. Well, usually like sound and sight. But um, I don't know if you guys ever do this as writers. Sometimes when I'm watching a movie and I see a scene and then I get into writer mode and I'm like, how would I write this out? Like, how would I describe this scene in words? And then it usually turns out kind of cliche. It's like the rain was <laughs> the rain was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that was I, really sorry. <laughs> One thing that I just have to go back on because it made me laugh. Paula's political acumen is so powerful. You, I love how you, how you're like, you're like, oh yeah, it's visceral when you talk about uh, videography, but that's not to discount any of the other, the <laughs> other areas. I love that. I don't want the authors to come out. <laughs> <laughs> you really don't want to get canceled. You're tired of getting canceled. No, no. The thing is, though. I am probably not going to be a videographer. Like I'm probably mm -hmm. still going to be a print journalist or an editor of words. Yeah. So I completely see the utility, I think, of print reporting still. And yeah, what you're saying about like not being able to be descriptive or something, you know, being cliche when you uh, describe more visual scenes, that's, that's also uh, something that, yeah, that's why I think video can be more powerful. That's a really good point. Cliche sort of goes out the window when you're right. filming something mm -hmm. because there's no room for cliche. Like yeah. it's video is anti-cliche unless you set up a scene in a way that becomes cliche. Yeah. That makes sense? Well, there's there's B-roll that can be cliche. Like if you're yeah. uh, if you're talking to somebody and then you film them like walking down a street, they're <laughs> like, mm. so that's why you got to be like strategic with yeah. what you show. But yeah, I guess. Yeah, it always has to be authentic. Well, I have to ask, so after working at like at the medium and then studying like journalism um, for your master's, like, is there anything that you learned that like you wish you knew while you were still working at the medium? Ooh, that's a great question. Let me think on it a bit. Can you ask the question one more time? Yeah, is there anything that Paula, you learned um, in your master's of journalism that you wish you knew while you were working in journalism at the medium? Paula, is it okay if I try to give my answer? Just oh, based on to give his answer not on my master's <laughs> program, but like what I what I wish I'd known or remembered absolutely back then. Um, to really care less about anyone and everyone's opinion. Because at the end of the day, nothing matters. No one's gonna remember you. No one's even gonna remember you like a week ago. And most of the time people are, if anyone gets upset, they're usually upset with themselves and their circumstances of their life, but they really could care less about what you're doing. So that's what I would try to remember. That's good to know. Thank you, Ali. Yeah, I completely echo what you say. And just like not even, like you definitely don't need to like do what I'm like, get your grad school degree, whatever. That's a great just life lesson, I think. Um, and I, and it can be really difficult because 
the internet makes people say things they would never say in person. So you're going to experience that if you haven't already. I'm sure you have people coming after you for articles you've written. Um, but as long and, you know, take what they say, if it's, you know, constructive, but yeah, I mean, be confident in your decisions. Um, I think on the more journalistic side, um, I think it's really good to remember to, uh, this might, I don't know, this, so I think it's really important to remember to talk to even expert sources who are not often represented. I think, I think this is important because, I mean, there's the whole representation um, argument and why we need more representation, but I think and that's certainly true in like main characters to be able to hear from their experiences. So what your article is about is what I mean by main character. But I think also in terms of expert sources, it's really important to make sure you're hearing from experts who are not often quoted or whose research or work is not often brought to the forefront. Um, because so often we turn to like expert sources that are easier to find, more public. Um, but I think it's really valuable to talk to experts who are not, you know, at the forefront of their of their field or anything to to kind of see what kind of research that they're doing um, and to highlight that in whatever article you're writing. Can you give an example of what you mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. I'm I'm writing a story about mothers and substance use right now. And I think the traditional way to traditional like sourcing that you would maybe go about finding your experts is who's quoted a lot in the media in, in articles about addiction. Um, so but I think what I'm trying to say is it's really important to go talk to people who aren't as predominant in this field. So harm reduction specialists who aren't like the flashy professor, but like they know a lot about this field. Um, harm reduction specialists, coordinators at these, um, at these harm reduction sites. Um, so that's what I would say. Does that make more sense? Totally. That's great. Mm -hmm. And do you guys have remember a conversation that you've had with someone um, that kind of helped give you clarity on where you wanted to go? I'm kind of redirecting us to um, just like career path and future discussion. So I'll repeat the question. Do you recall any conversation with someone that helped you project into the direction that you wanted to go? <laughs> I'm engaging in a stare off right now. Do you um, want to go first or do you want me to go first? You can go first. Um, Whoa, Allie. <laughs> <Don't start laughs> <it off. laughs> For people listening, I have a pair of scissors in my hands. Um, <clears throat> no. <laughs> I think. Honestly, honestly, same. And that can actually be something that maybe we should highlight. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like there weren't many career services type figures during undergrad. Is that true, Ali? Would you say that? Career service 
yeah like people career the... counselors or people oh trash yeah they yeah, all no disgusting. absolutely not so that's Be why awful. like <laughs> that's why you really need to rely on like yourself to figure it out which can be really difficult so I mean I'm gonna I'm just... quote Kim Kardashian oh please <laughs> no don't <laughs> <laughs> stop being lazy what did she say stop being lazy there are so many people in this world who don't want to put in the work you gotta put in the work I totally agree with her it word for word I that's probably not it but I think you it goes back to what I said it took me until second year until I started doing stuff like joining clubs etc etc but that was literally the best education university was not it for me and no one told me to do that I was just like okay I'm not enjoying my classes that much that was on me for picking a crappy um, degree not the writing part but the political science part Um, but but yeah career counselors can only tell you so much you you really there you meet them for an hour you're living your life like 24 7 so you know what you like what you don't like um, and you sort of have to just follow your instincts unless they suck, then maybe talk to people, you know, the people around you who can maybe guide you a bit more. I think keeping an, keeping a, keeping an open mind and also talking to the people around you, but I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I feel like, yeah, I feel like talking to Sorry, that was a lot. It's okay. I feel like talking to people around you can help you even like see what, what is out there, I guess, because like Mm -hmm. Ali, for example, when I talk to you, you said, oh, my dream is to be an author. And then from like in my life, I was like never even told that that was a job, oper- like that was a job option. And I was like, that's true. Like you can honestly do anything. Um, and then I, I think I also like, I talked to Chris who is the arts editor before and he was just telling me that there were so-and-so programs in Europe. And then I was like, that exists. So, mm-hmm. yeah. If I may, um, the author that I was interviewing before this, Jonathan, he, he, we were talking about like, what's your favorite hobby? And he was like, my entire life's a hobby. And what he was saying was we, we try to, we try to give value to certain things in life. Like a job is more valuable than a hobby. That's why a hobby is just a thing we do on the side that we don't really think about. He was like, why am I going to do that? I'm going to give everything equal significance. And I think it goes back to that, that idea of being present and just what you, your life doesn't have to revolve around a career or like a certain path forward, which is like, this might be cliche advice, but you really just have to be like, all right, I'm in this on this earth for however many years. I need to start making decisions today about what I want in the future. That could be, I want to be an author. I want a job. I want to be making this much money. I want to raise a family. But it's like, okay, I want all that, but I need to s- figure out how I'm going to get there. And so life is really just about making the right decisions to get where you want to be and trying to deal with whatever obstacles come your way. So I think you just have to like simplify everything and just do stuff and get it over with and stop worrying about the problems and just be like, all right, I'm here. I'm going to try my best. Um, my intentions are good. So the outcome should be positive at the end of the day. Yeah, well, I think that's so important because taking things step by step, I definitely didn't have a conversation with anyone. I mean, 
like among friends and my family, but I didn't really have a bigger conversation about like my career goal is mm-hmm. to be this like top journalist. But I did have conversations about, okay, I'd like to go get like, go to grad school to like try to learn more about journalism and try to learn more about how to report. So what Ali is saying about laying out short-term goals, which is a little bit cliche too, but laying out short-term goals and making plans to achieve those is super important. And I think that's what I would suggest because like, even though, even as you're achieving short-term goals, your long-term goals and where you're going to end up is still so in flux that it's impossible to kind of really think about where you're going to end up. So I think even for me, like, I'm still thinking short term. And I think that's the way to go. Totally. I think it's about building habits and um, just doing the same thing every day and getting better at it or like fixing your sleep schedule or going to the gym or whatever. You're building those habits so that in a year you'll have something, you'll have a better foundation for whatever you want to do. Yeah. And then along the way, you also maybe realize what you want to do. Like it either strengthens or you realize that's totally not what you want to do. Um, And that's okay too, I think. Like as you're building these habits, as you're building more experience in what you thought you wanted to do, it's okay to completely change course. Um, Just for our last few minutes, do you guys have any um, like things that you want to, what's the word? Plug? Plug, yes. Link. Absolutely, we do. (laughs) So as we mentioned, Mm -hmm. we have a literary journal out in the world called Archetype. Our first issue comes out April 23rd. You can follow us on social media at on instagram at archetype literary or on twitter at a underscore journal yes a underscore journal um and the journal really just centers around um human stories that are grounded in concrete details um that sort of go back going back to what i was saying they're very specific moments in time um and yeah it's a great journal i think we have great stories and poems and essays coming out. So definitely check us out. Paula, do you want to say anything? <laughs> I just want to say that, yeah, our it'll come out in April and we're going to have a launch party. So if you want to be a part of that, please be a part of that. And then our next, we're, our next issue is also going to be released this year, a few months later. So our submissions are going to be open again. So please submit. Um, and we're here to answer questions about it too. Well, thanks so much, um, Ali and Paula for all your advice, really appreciate it, so good.